Hi, I'm Jeremiah Gibbs, and welcome to Find Your Place. I interview top professionals to find out how God is using them to make a difference in the kingdom so that you can discover God's calling on your life as well. Today, I have a special guest with me, President Rob Manuel of the University of Indianapolis. Rob's going to explain the way that leadership is really about helping people reach their full potential. If you believe that you have a calling to help people reach their full potential, listen in so that you can discover your place as well. If you like content like this, then like and subscribe to this channel so that you can discover more videos of like this one. Let's listen to Rob's story so that we can find your place. Well, I am here today with uh, with my boss, with president of the University of Indianapolis, Dr. Rob Manuel. Uh, President Manuel has been uh, president of the university since 2012 and has uh, led our institution into financial health, uh, has had some really great fundraising success and capital improvements, and has led, uh, done all of that while leading us through uh, our Vision 2030, a strategic plan that really helped us become innovative uh, academically and and within the, the community here in the Indianapolis area. And so, um, an excellent uh, eight-year start to your to your work here at the university, uh, but I really want to take a moment today, Rob, to kind of get a little bit into your own personal uh, experience of the work and um, sort of how you ended up doing this. And um, so, um, if you would, just uh, I've already said a little bit about um, your work at the university, but most of us have no idea what uh, a president does every day. So if you would um, just tell us a little bit about some of the primary places that you spend your time and what are some of the most important things that you do just on a regular basis? Well, first, thanks, thanks for doing this. Yeah. I uh, enjoy the conversation with our just about the future of the university. So this is nice to do. <laughs> I appreciate your leadership on all of this, Jeremiah. It's great. Thank you. Um, so yeah, the, the funny thing about a president is it's everything I didn't think it was going to be when I signed up to do the job. So I, you know, I, I grew up in academic leadership. I took a bit of time in technology leadership. And when I took the job as president, I realized very quickly it was kind of like mayor of a small town. It was everything from um, police and safety and working with the community to academic um, you know, standards and progress and student uh, welfare. And, and then it turned into things like pandemic management and, and all things that you just never uh, thought would be part of the part of the leadership position we decided to be in a college, in our college. When I was going into higher education, I was told by a number of people that I picked the right thing because we all got our summers off. And uh, that was the biggest lie ever told to me <laughs> by anyone. Uh, and the, the truth is that the thing that motivates me in the job of the president is that it is kind of constantly on looking at and trying to figure out how to manage progress for all parts of the university. And if you find yourself in a university that you love and one that loves you back, you were involved, we were involved in everything uh, from, there's a zoning petition going on right now around the university. So I'm working with the mayor's office and the Office of Metropolitan Affairs to figure out whether this is the right development for this, this place. We worked on standing up 
the CDCs in the area to help with economic development and quality of life improvement for people who aren't in any way attached to the university, but are affected by the work we do in the area. And of course, the traditional stuff like admissions and marketing and fundraising and uh, quality of life development for the people who live, who live with us, athletic development, program development, uh, board management, board, board work. All of that is uh, part of the, the reality. Uh, over the past eight years, I became a real estate developer. We did quite a bit of work around campus in that area. That was a new, new space for me. And I learned a ton working with people like Gene Zink and Wilhelm Construction and our own planning folks to figure out how to manage uh, those. I uh, got into finance. A lot of my job is on finance, which is not budget. Uh, two different things. Budget is how you spend your money. Finance is how you get it and manage it. Uh, and uh, that was a real learning curve uh, for me over the first two or three years. Uh, and all in all, the, the, the job is kind of amorphous, so it changes. When I first got here, 90% of it was charting a strategic plan that showed us where we were going. Then over five years, that turned to kind of how we operated, created operational realities for that strategic plan. And right now, because of the pandemic and because of the demographic cliff that's coming up, the high school graduates that are coming out of high school in about five years, we're talking about sizing the university to be able to continue to deliver our, our mission uh, over the next 10 years. And so the strategic plan and the strategic reality and the operational realities all get mixed up now. My job is to figure out how to turn around and make them usable for everybody around the university so that we can continue our march forward. Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've learned, and and in some senses, uh, I I learned this through pastoral leadership, though what it means to to lead a church. Um, you know, the executive skills there are not different than the executive skills to run a state or to run the country, right? It's just a much smaller scale. And the more that you scale that up, you I mean, you're, you're managing uh, hundreds of employees and thousands of students and, and, and the physical plant then, and the budgets involved with all that. It's not that different in one sense than leading some of the top executive positions uh, in the world. It's just about scale, right? Um, but you have to have these sort of um, this a variety of skill sets that aren't your expertise and know when to draw people in that um, have expertise that you don't have and, and so on. What has been the hardest part of that learning curve? Um, part of it is, you know, you're hired to be the president. Everybody assumes that you have expertise in everything. And in higher education, where expertise is the coin of the realm, it's tough to say, hey, wait a minute, I I don't have a lot of experience in this area. Help me out, and then I'll be able to use it. And I think part of the, the hard part is learning and instilling competence at the same time. So I'm a first, I was a first-time president eight years ago. I was a pretty young president. I was 46 or so, 45, when I took the job. And I think maybe too stupid to realize the magnitude of the responsibilities that were put on me at the time. But I had to learn and have people be competent in my leadership at the same time. And balancing that was, was difficult. So for example, in the first two years, we had to close our Athens campus. Uh, well, I had no knowledge of international HR law or international finance law or tax regulations between 
LLCs and corporate veils that existed. And I needed to educate myself and then apply that to a strategy for figuring out how to do that in a humane and caring way. Uh, and so it was three or four jobs to do the one thing, which was stand up in front of the campus and say, we need to progress in this, in this way. So there's a lot of behind the scenes work early on to do it. Um, and that the, those parts change over time. So I'm pretty well versed now in the finance and pretty well versed in the development and pretty well versed in the strategic planning. Um, now the question is, how do you design the future so that we are impervious to the economic realities that are going to come through? And that's a little more futuristic ideation stuff. Um, and then, quite frankly, the, the other part is to, and I, I like that you said, you see the similarities between kind of congregation management and CEO management. A lot of my direction comes from my faith tradition, from how I figured out how to have a relationship with God. And I know that the, um, those two connect, keep me moving in a direction that is, I think, helpful both to the mission of the university to the impact that any decision I make has on other people versus what it does for me and my ego and my, my desire to kind of be out there in public. And so it's, yeah. it's all those balancing acts that have been constant companions in the past eight years. Yeah. So if we could go back a little bit, uh, you probably did not imagine when you graduated college that you were going to be a university president. Um, but there's a path to get there. So what did you imagine when you were beginning your career? What did you think you were going to be doing? Uh, what career were you going into and how did you imagine that? It's funny you say that because my, my parents uh, fully thought I would never be a college anything. <laughs> and when, uh, my grandmother lived to be 104 and every year I would get $20 in my birthday card. And I had worked, I graduated from three different schools, right? Bachelor's, master's, doctoral. Mm -hmm. I worked at four other schools. And in my grandmother's head, I just couldn't graduate college. And so she would continue to send me 20 bucks saying, keep going, you're going to get your, your degree. Eventually, you're going to get your degree. <laughs> so, no, I, I think the people who aspire to it um, uh, may have some, um, some, some advantages. Right, because they know the experiences that they're looking for to get themselves there. What I found myself doing was following um, things that motivated me. That's all. Uh, when I was graduating, it was senior night before graduation. There was a bonfire at Allegheny College, and I sat down kind of by myself, the moment of melancholy as all my friends were having dancing you know, in the background. My college president sat down next to me in the lawn, and he said, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to law school. And he said, why? I, I didn't have any answer. I wanted to go to law school because my father was a lawyer and I saw what he could do in a small town and I liked the logic, the way people thought, but I had no real reason to do it except I thought that was the next step. So I took a kind of sabbatical from what I was expected to do and became a road warrior for admissions up in for school in Vermont where I traveled 30, month, 30 weeks out of the year and just recruited students and talked to people and I found out that there was a career inside of higher education. And what I really liked was matching the possibilities that the student had to the capabilities that an institution had mm -hmm. and helping people find their own way in life. And out of that came this kind of desired career in higher education. And then every time 
I was at a school, I simply followed the things that people would give me access to and that I enjoyed. And so that was admissions, financial aid, technology, um, strategy, operations, online education, program development, management, and then ultimately fundraising it into the presidency. Yeah, yeah. So sort of outside of your your work, what are the ways that you spend your time? Do you have hobbies or volunteer opportunities? What are the things that that you love to do outside of your, your job? So the, the funny thing, I, I finally became really happy when I realized there is no outside of the job. And I, I don't say that clearly. I mean, yeah. I came into this job thinking that I was going to have to um, find balance, right? You find the time that you're working, the time that you're with your family, the time that you're doing the things that are good for you. Uh, and I realized there's just no time when I'm not the president of the university. So I love to play tennis. And I play tennis two or three times a week with adults who are working professionals in the area. And I wear a shirt with an eye on it. And invariably, somebody across the net knows somebody who graduated from the university or graduated themselves from the university. And so, you know, to them, I'm the president and playing tennis. And I have to be very careful about how hard I hit the ball and where it goes. <laughs> but you can have, I can have fun doing that. And that's part of the reality of being in one of these positions. Yeah. I'm a photographer and love to go out and shoot. Uh, people got to that because my daughter is a dancer. My oldest daughter was an athlete and my youngest daughter rides horses and I like capturing action and motion. And I do quite a bit of that whenever I'm around yeah. uh, them or others that will let me take those pictures. And then um, I like to spend time with my wife and remember that we uh, had a, have a relationship that requires some work as we go through life yeah. in, our, in our own capacity. Yeah. When you uh, when you take sort of your interest in photography and so on uh, into the workplace, how do you, how do you keep yourself from like driving the marketing people crazy because you have an opinion on that image or or whatever you know? Because um, yeah. once we those once that becomes a, an interest and passion, it take we also have to recognize that others are the expert and we're. Even if we have an opinion. Back to the other conversation we started, which was um, my faith tradition and how I discern paths forward. Um, part of my, I think part of my calling is to figure out what people are really good at and connect them to possibilities. Yeah. And I think I'm, I get consolation out of doing that. Right? And yeah. you enjoy seeing people develop to their best capability. So, uh, yeah, I'll sit in a marketing uh, campaign, I'll see a photo and it won't be developed right or the, the proportions will be off or something. But my job is not to say, this is what I like. My job is to hire the right people and have the right people who are inquisitive as I am about that concept yeah. to understand what excellence is. And so everybody inside of marketing, for example, knows that if they come to me with a campaign for the brand of the university, we're going to have really good conversations about what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. And my response is going to be, how do you think this um, benefits the university? How does this tell the story of the university versus you need more orange here? And their, their response is, I think we can do this a little differently this way, or a little better this way, or yeah. 
they're they're so we have such a talented team all around us that uh, it would be a disservice to everybody if I took all of the areas that I had experience in yeah. and started poking my finger and saying, do this, do that, do this. That's not the job of a president. Yeah. And I think sometimes I understand my own limits as a supervisor at that point, like not take, not being willing to step away and say, that they have to live into their expertise in this. And I've got to just, cause you know, um, it's easy to try to put your finger in everything and, and, that and the, ultimately yeah. limits them and you. The other side of that coin is my job is also to expand them and the thinking. And so rather than go into the rabbit hole of, is that picture a quality picture? Uh-huh. Say, what could we do with that picture? What could we do with that image that's different from what we're doing with it now? Uh-huh. And if you look at higher ed in general, and I imagine this has to be the same with the profession of faith, uh, mm-hmm. that the design, that the problem is not the bubble that everybody thinks is going to burst. Or, the problem is in design. How do you create fundamentally an attachment between what we do really well and what the universe wants and needs uh, in order to make students ready for the future it's not about nitpicking whether we're doing it right it's about expanding people's capacity to help them realize they in fact can create new from their own expertise and that's what's demanded at this time in order to be financially solvent and relevant and have the institutional effect we want on the students as they go through their yeah. It's interesting. You've now referred several times to your role being uh, helping people sort of you, I, live into their calling, live into their expertise, live into their potential. Um, so often I say when I'm telling people what a pastor does, I say pastors help people live into their calling. Um, <laughs> and, and, it, and in some ways it makes me wonder if that is really so much about pastoral leadership as it is all leadership mm-hmm. um that that the that the calling of leadership may just be how do i help this person live into the best uh of what they can be so that and and how does that align with the needs of the institution as well obviously yeah i, I think there's a, a book called heroic leadership by christopher Lowney, who used to be a jesuit Worked on Wall Street, became a Jesuit priest, and is now doing a lot of nonprofit work in the world. And he takes all of the tenets of kind of Jesuit pedagogy, nation, spirituality, and applies it to management techniques uh, yeah. that he learned when he was at J.P. Morgan or Goldman Sachs, whatever he was on Wall Street. I've read that book like 800 times and invited him to speak to our cabinet about how you make that informed leadership that is caring and not just about the right decision. And higher ed is not an efficient organization, right? It has its unique characteristics to it, but that's what makes it beautiful and what makes it unique and it's what makes it caring. The only way that we've been able to get through all of the disruptions that happened with the COVID virus is because we focused on care of the individuals first. And if you came and and put your, you know, your consulting comb through the hair of what we've done, you'd find all kinds of decisions that you never would have made if we were just a for-profit institution. I gave away money, we helped students acquire housing and food when they couldn't afford it, didn't have anywhere else to go. 
to me, that's the genius of being in higher education is you can tap into those realities and still help students and, and faculty and staff continue their production. I think that is a similarity to almost anybody's faith tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also in, you know, in alignment with the, um, the sort of social good enterprises, they talk about the double bottom line or so yep. you have a financial bottom line, but, but at the end of the day, the financial bottom line only has to be sustainable right. because the primary bottom line. And sometimes I wonder uh, how often students, because students will talk about the price of our institution or or any institution for that matter and so on and so forth. And like, you do understand like we are a nonprofit, like we actually can't make profit. It's not even part of our goals. Uh, but, you know, of course, from there in, they're not seeing the 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 numbers and so on, but, uh, and they only see the, the one, the bill that they have to pay. But, uh, but you know, the, um, but what I find funny is uh, if you look at so like today, it was announced that Google's going to get a union, that their, their people are going to unionize because what Google's, even though they're avant-garde and they're wealthy and they're out there, they're not apparently treating their staff and, and folks that work for them in a way that makes them want to be part of the organization. And so they feel like they need to be protected against some of the practices that are coming down. Uh, and I think that happens in higher ed too, right? And, huge institutions, even small institutions where a cult of personality rules instead of a devotion to development of the mission. At UND, uh, when I look at the number of people who are really concerned about the price, which is everybody, versus the number of people who can't afford it because we've not put the dollars where we need to be, it's such a you know, small number in that letter category. And we do everything we can to make sure people can afford to be here. I think that when the push comes to shove around really, really difficult questions like what we've what we've made in the last year, people see that, that we're devoted to putting our money behind the mission, behind the care for people first. And that as a result, we know that if we had to make those decisions, it was because they were the last, the absolute last things we we needed to do to become and maintain our, our progress. Yeah. So, so- when can is there a time when you sort of thought I know I'm doing the job that I was made for? What when is the time when you sort of began to realize that this was right? So there's uh, you can answer that question in different ways. Uh, there's was higher ed the right place for me to be, right? And that that came early. Uh, there was you made me the right place for me to be. Uh, and that came in two tranches. Um, and then there were moments when I realized I was in the right vertical, I was in higher ed, should have been, but the institution might not have been right for me, right? And that's uh-huh. when I went to other positions. And part of that isn't that the institution changed, part of it is that I changed. And there wasn't another place for me to go to kind of do the things that I felt called to do them as When I was, um, I can remember it to a teacher, I, I won't say his name, but I recruited a kid from um, Binghamton, New York to come to Lemoyne College where I worked as an admissions officer. And this kid was a swimmer and he, his parents just got divorced and he was smart, but the divorce had rocked his academic career a little bit. And I got to know him and both his mom and his dad and we talked and it got ugly in the financial aid situation where the dad had more money than the mom, and the mom had more custody of the child. 
that the dad wasn't going to pay for the kid to go to private school or to public school. And eventually we sat down and we said, well, let's write for a student. And we came up with a way to fund his education at Lemoyne. He became an uh, all-American swimmer at Lemoyne. He ended up going to grad school, being an MBA. He's now working on Wall Street, doing things that motivate him. And in the early stages, when I cracked through the conversation, it was about the person and not about the dollars coming in for, you know, for tuition. I realized you could have a career at the right institution that did the kind of things I was hoping to do in higher ed. And uh, that was at Lemoyne in 1992. And I realized I wanted a career in that space. Yeah. At UIndy, um, it happened when I first got here. I, I kind of instantly, I made the first mistake. You might remember this. I sent an email out to what I thought was a cabinet, but it turned out to be the entire population. <coughs> and everybody inviting them over to the house to say hi. And I realized when I got 52 baskets of muffins and 42 loaves of bread that this was a community that really wanted to be connected to the people. And I, I instantly kind of fell in love with the place and realized that I could not only kind of be helpful in the future direction of the university, but the university could be helpful in my own development, my children's development, the work that we do. And I just enjoy that a lot. Yeah. It is traditional that, uh, at least in my job, about every eight, nine years, you go find another job. Yeah, I'm at eight, nine years right now. <laughs> and this summer I did a little uh, kind of retreat with myself and did some analysis on what I really wanted to do and where I wanted to be. And I realized that um, I needed a new job, but it had to be at the same institution because I didn't, I didn't want to leave the but I know that UND now is different than UND was nine years ago, and it needs a different president. It needs somebody to do different things <coughs> to be able to be uh, sustainable down the road. And so my new next eight, nine years will be devoted to figuring out the design of the university to be successful through what will be really turbulent times in the upcoming five years, mm -hmm. because we've developed such great leaders on campus that they can now do the things of, of uh, incremental revolution on programming, development of operational efficiencies, all that stuff can be managed. Now my job is to kind of think about what the next iteration of the vision would be down the road. Interesting, yeah. One of the things that I have, uh, when I talk about calling with folks, uh, I often talk about the ways that your personality um, will sometimes determine the kind of job that you do, but other times it's going to determine um, the way that you do the job. And you're saying, actually, there was a way that you did the job for a while. And because of the needs of the institution, it sounds like also your own personal um, just need for kind of growth and, and, and so on, you plan to do the same job differently, even within your own, the term, the term hasn't, nobody else changes, but you say, I'm changing the way that I, I do the job. That's, that's a interesting. And it, and it sounds like that's an intentional step for you. You're making a decision to do that. Yeah. I, I think it's similar to your path. I know you don't want to be interviewed yourself, <laughs> but 
the idea that you you build a skill, you develop a skill, and you have to use that. I feel like I have to use those things that I develop. And oftentimes that requires a new position, someone to say, now you can do these kind of things. Mm-hmm. But when you're president, uh, the only, really the only limitation on how you craft your your reality is you, your conversation with the board and your understanding of what the community needs. And so there's no need to find another institution now. One, because I really love UND and two, because I see a perfect fit between how I can redesign the new skills that I've developed to help the next you know, five or 10 years unfold versus having to go to another institution to, to do that. Yeah. And, you know, you can see that in your own development you, you, the church that you're working with now, the programs that you've developed, the people that you've brought on, those aren't things that you're, you're moving into the United Methodist Church. Those are not things that um, you could do all at once just because you wanted to climb a ladder. They're things that you do once you have the capability and you know you've got to use those talents to do, to do better. And that's, that, that's where the energy comes from. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've certainly for me and I, and you know, i appreciate you bringing up the the transition to church leadership. Probably a lot of people that are watching this won't know that uh, I've been at the university for, uh, no, no, it's okay. Not, they wouldn't, it's not that I, I wouldn't say it. I just don't talk about myself very much on this program, but, um, but, you know, I serve for uh, 11 years, 12 years now at the university um, and decided really just about a year ago, like that there needed to be some changes, not to my whole of my job. I love the job that I do, but I personally needed to say, what is, what's going to meet certain uh, either career development aspirations, or sometimes it's just about interest in, 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 and staying fresh in it. And so um, began pastoring a church back in July that helped me to say, I'm just going to recraft the work that I do every day in this case without leaving. And thankfully you and, and uh, my supervisor, Corey has, have been very supportive of saying, okay, do that, make sure you do your job, but, but do that uh, in ways that, that make sense for you. And, and, you know, even the fact that I've started this uh, program has been a piece of that. It's like, there's this interest. And so how do we connect that? And how do we do it in ways that connect with the grant initiative that, that we have and connect with the daily work of, um, of our, of our office. And, and then therefore is a thing that I can, um, can align with my work, but, but it's really a new thing. It's, it's something different than, than the day to day of, of how, of how I've gotten into in the job for, for a number of years. I just think vocationally, that is an important process, especially for young people to understand. I think, and maybe at the front end of when they get a job, they can't control and determine what it's going to look like. They just have to take the job that will hire them and they do what their boss asks them to do. But over the course of their career, they can remake that um, in ways that, that better align with who they are. Part of that is being ready. So there, and there's lots of kind of obstacles along that path, right? Um, somebody told me that if anybody, any of your supervisors ever say you're ready for something, you have to say, okay, you, you never say, I don't feel like I'm not ready here. That's the path to getting more and more responsibility. That doesn't have anything to do with making you happy or making you um, kind of fulfilling your 
your natural talents or your God-given abilities. But it does say that that's the way doors sometimes will be open. And the other thing is, if we're really working on developing at UND the intellectual, the spiritual, and the and the kind of personal talents of people, it would be wrong to say to you, you can't go pastor a church. It would be right to say, how can we do that and continue to have your leadership and the ecumenical faith development of the university? And when you look at your history, bringing on Ariane and the grants and the people that come in to, to kind of increase the development and the connections with the United Methodist Church across the street, that stuff is, is too valuable to lose because we want to we hold you so tight, you're gonna you're gonna suffocate. That's the that's what I mean by developing individuals to be what they can. And yeah. at a, at your level, which is a senior level, the goal is to try to figure out how to continue the capacity development. At a younger level, like you're coming into your first uh, job, some of those jobs are narrow and restricted. Yeah. Once you find out how to how to grow, then the job is to figure out how to move either move to another position to continue that growth or redevelop the, the position that happened to uh, individually within the institution. Yeah. We'll go from one ethereal question to another. Uh, I, I want to ask you if, if um, maybe you've ever tried to summarize your life into a, or your work into kind of a mission statement. You know, Bishop Trimble of Indiana UMC, he has a statement that he says uh, that his purpose is to encourage people with the love of Jesus Christ to their potential. And I've sometimes talked about uh, my mission as, as helping somebody take one step closer to Jesus wherever they are. Uh, have you ever tried to say, well, this is what my life mission is recently yeah uh, but i like yours and bishop trumbull's much better <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, I, and this is both with my own kids and my family and with the work that i do which is uh, i like your concept of taking one step further to to something mine is trying to get them to take one step closer to their really fullest potential and understand what that potential would be. And that's changed over time. So at Lemoyne, it was finding the potential and the match between what they could be and what the institution could provide for them. Here at UND, and then when I was in the classroom for a little bit, it was finding the potential in their intellectual development. And here it's with the students, but it's also with the faculty and staff and they really support that work. And um, I, I, in my own development, I realized that I've been the most ineffective when I've become mediocre. And everybody's point of mediocrity is different, but um, I just, I don't like sitting on the, the kind of past or sitting on knowing that I got by but could do better. Um, and I, I want everybody to be able to find a way to understand how their path could be to the greatest potential that they have. When I was a kid, uh, I played the piano a lot and I loved jazz, but I was schooled classically. And I was asked to uh, accompany a flute player and this is in high school as she created her tape for music schools that she was auditioning to. I said, sure. Vanessa Morris, uh, still to this day a friend, although after what I just tell you, you I wonder why. Uh, and I didn't really practice that much because like, it wasn't important to me. I knew I could get by. I was just being company. So I 
look back at this as a great moment of mediocrity. When we started to play, I relied more on the jazz, which was to just kind of make it work, right? And I could, if your herb shoes playing this beautiful classical piece, and I was kind of making it work. Uh, and in the end, our teacher came and, and, and pulled me aside and said, Rob, that was beautiful, but nothing what we were after. And so we had to wait a couple extra weeks while I actually learned the piece and came back and I realized I can't just skate by with what I think is is right and what gets you by. You've got to figure out how to do to the best of your abilities what you can do. And that, that's become my own personal mm. mantra and I hope I'm able to bring that out in the leadership work I do anywhere I am. Yeah, very, very cool. So um, last question for you. You're, we've got the, This program is really designed for people who are making decisions and transitioning, um, either transitioning or, or first deciding what careers they're going to pursue. And you really get to be a part of that process for literally hundreds and even more than a thousand persons every year. Um, what advice would you have for people that are sort of either either making those decisions for the first time or are transitioning into new lines of work and so on? How would you, uh, what advice would you give for them? Um, this might be a four day answer. You can cut me off whenever you're, whenever you're sick. <laughs> um, early on when I was, when I was pushed by the president around the, the fire pit to say why I was going to law school and I didn't have an answer, I felt really lost, right? And I didn't know what that was. I just felt like I had put all of this effort in the last four years into something, thinking I was going somewhere, and now I didn't have an answer for what I was going to do. And I can tap into that feeling at any point to realize what somebody's going through. I let the external accoutrements of safe society dictate where my path was going. So it was an external pull. Somebody I loved, my father was a lawyer, I want to be a lawyer, right? Lawyers get paid well, lawyers have high prestige. Uh, it was nice to say at parties that I was going to law school kind of stuff. Uh, but in the end, internally, I was not in any way moved by that work, by that, by that path. Um, and I, I kind of realized that as a moment, if you fast forward now 15 years to when I'm working at Georgetown, going through a Ignatian spirituality retreat, trying to discern desolation and, and consolation in my life that I'm moved by certain things that, that motivate me, which are connected to God's gift in me. And those are all internal things that you've got to discern. They're not things that come to you by people telling you this is a good path for you or that's a good path for you. And so my my message to the new students coming in is this slow down a minute. I know you want to be an accountant. I know you want to, to, to major in nursing or whatever it is, but also give yourself a little bit of time to kind of feel the what what's moving inside of you to be able to direct you in a way that's really going to be motivating for you. And it very well could be nursing and accounting, those are terrific careers. But they also could just be things that you've decided are appropriate careers. And if you're really gonna live up to your potential, how do you take those moments to do that? And that, that really is the gift of liberal arts education. Mm -hmm. Stephanie Kelly, who's the dean of our physical therapy, uh, College of Health Sciences, will tell you that one of her most inspiring classes 
as an undergraduate, even though she knew she wanted to be physical therapy, was Frankenstein in literature because it got her to see how you saw a difference and difference was seen in society. That kind of connection was amazing. And I think people just need the room and the comfort to be able to do that. And to the extent that I try to continue to practice that, that's what helps me keep going. And to the extent that I can give people the room to do that in their professional lives or students in their student life is, I think, how I breathe uh, into their into their worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's tremendous uh, advice that really, I, and I, I usually just use the language of slow down with students so often and say, you know, what you're studying in college, even choose the major that you choose, um, ultimately is not your vocation. I mean, there's a few of our of our programs, professional programs like uh, teaching and nursing, and, and I guess maybe accountant would be similar, where um, you're studying a profession, which certainly could be a vocation. But so much of what we learn in college, certainly in the liberal arts a curriculum, but even in many of the majors, are putting a tool in the toolbox, which then will come out in a variety of different ways in whatever you end up doing. And so I appreciate that in in the ways that you've talked about um, yourself and your own vocation during this uh, this time, you have made it clear that really a, a lot of what you do is about helping people reach potential all the way back from some of your early jobs and certainly a different audience or different a different group now that you're you're developing but but that for you it's about helping people reach potential not the things necessarily that you study the disciplines that you studied and so these disciplines so often are simply a tool in the toolbox so we can the the career and the vocation that we're walking into can develop over a long period of time because we're not really very few decisions are final mm -hmm. when it comes to uh calling there are a few but most of them are not um you know i mean if i don't if i don't go to nursing school then nursing is not my vocation unless i'm going to invest a lot of energy sometime later to be trained for that but but for the most part we don't we don't we're not limited in the ways that we will will walk into our our calling later um and so just being able to be to have some comfort in knowing that as well as to, to give ourselves the time to, to live into it. Yeah. And certainly when you, when you move into a position of, of the kind of leadership you have that, that develops over a long period of time um, and each step along the way really matters. But Rob, thanks so much for being uh, on here today, for talking with folks, sharing a bit about your life uh, and, and your work. And, and I certainly think it will be a, a help to those who listen. Thanks, Jeremiah. So, uh, I find these conversations rejuvenating. So thanks for having me and yeah. good luck with the rest of them. I will say the, the one last piece of development I have is a goal for the upcoming year. 
Yeah. Just to get you to get a bass in my hand and let me play it at a service. Don't give up on me there. <laughs> you know, when you when you mentioned music a few moments ago, I was going to say we still have a, uh, a date to make music. But although right now we our bands for chapel are like two people so that we can reduce our social or increase our social distance. So hopefully maybe as soon as we get back to having a real band, then we can we can get you back in here. Six months to get ready. So yeah, that's right. <laughs> Should I send you the set list now? <laughs> yeah. Great. Thanks, Thanks Rob. Yeah. Yep. The Student Leadership Academy, or SLA, is a week-long event designed to help you discern where God is calling you to put your skills, passions, and talents to work in the world. Every year I came here, I get closer to my faith. I get closer to the people around me. I get closer to my pastor. And I feel that's very very helpful. It's really a great experience for discernment and calling and figuring out what God has planned for your life and so I wanted to be a part of that for these students. This is a fun opportunity to see maybe what you can do inside the world that could aid you and aid others to become better. During SLA, you will worship through music, spiritual disciplines, and small groups, attend classes and workshops, Participate in learning activities that will evaluate your skills, personality, and talents. Experience dorm life on the UND campus by sharing meals at the cafeteria, hanging out in the student center, and living together in a faith community. This is what I live for. You know, how can we take these things that you want to be part of your everyday life and how can you use that to the glory of God? Every year is different and every year God shows up. So if you are not getting the answer that you need, that's okay, because he's still with you, and that's really what they focus on here, and I love that. I believe that stories like this one are incredibly helpful in figuring out where God is leading you in your life. Sometimes when you're in the middle of the story, it's really difficult to know where God is speaking and where God is moving in your life to lead you. As we look back on these lives of these professionals, then we learn a little bit about how God is moving in their life, and I believe it'll make it easier for you to know how God is moving in your life. If you like stories like this one, subscribe to this channel and check out the description for links to other stories uh, that are like it. And I hope that you'll come back again soon.